to Between the Times, a podcast of Christchurch Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. This is episode 96, and we are here today with our pastors, John Payne and Michael Bauer. So on today, what I want to talk about is something that we as men are doing uh, every Thursday morning. We are going through a book entitled Every Promise of Your Word, The Gospel According to Joshua. And this is a recent book by Red Dotson, a PCA minister, and it's given by the Banner Truth Trust. And so, as I mentioned, this is what we are currently walking through in our Thursday morning Bible study at 630 uh, in the morning on Thursday. So if if you haven't been uh, up to this point, I'll invite you and encourage you to do come. It's a very encouraging study. Uh, mm-hmm. The men get together. We uh, fellowship together. We discuss the scriptures together and we encourage one another mm-hmm. together. So it's a very, very encouraging time. And, and eat th- some of Miss Lynn Earl's uh, there we go. Cake, and which is that's amazing. Right. That's also why we come. It's, <laughs> under the <clock. laughs> it's mostly coffee cake. Yeah, yeah. In the bottles. yeah that's right. <laughs> but very, very uh, great time together. And as mentioned, we're reading through a book that walks through the book of Joshua. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure how many listeners have actually taken the time to do a book study through the book of Joshua. And I would probably guess that is not that many. Yeah. Uh, I can think of myself, if I think back to my you know earlier days, I think I've probably heard maybe four or five sermons in total about the book of Joshua as a whole. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think is encouraging to think about is the fact that we say that we believe the whole scripture. That's not just the New Testament part. <laughs> it's the whole entire scripture. And one of the things that it's worth uh, repeating is that Christ is not just present in the gospel account and in the epistles. Uh, if we read our Bibles properly, we know that Christ is present and seen clearly through the Old Testament. And that also Amen. includes the book of Joshua. And Jesus says that in Luke 24 about himself. It says Amen. he preaches himself to the uh, travelers on the road to Emmaus from the prophets and the Psalms Amen. and the law. Amen. So the whole entirety of the scriptures is about Christ. It points to Christ. And so this is no different in the book of Joshua. But in order to understand Joshua properly, I think it's probably best to remember what kind of brings Joshua into view? What is the background into the book itself? And so, John, could you just give a quick little overview of what is actually going on entering into the book of Joshua? Yeah, Joshua begins with um, immediately after the death of Moses. And so if you think about this, God raises up Moses. Uh, he calls him at the burning bush to go and, and to bring his people out of Egypt, uh, from out of uh, bondage to Pharaoh to Egypt. Uh, they were slaves there for 400 years. And so he uh, brings them, uh, God, through the plagues, he uses Moses to bring his people out uh, of bondage uh, to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And he brings them uh, across the Red Sea in this glorious, miraculous event, and uh, into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we know, they get into the wilderness, God uh, gives them uh, the law, but the, the people um, get restless, uh, they complain, uh, they make a golden calf, uh, they are uh, constantly criticizing Moses, they talk about going back to Egypt, where they knew where their meals were going to come from every day, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's really a lack of trust in God, mm-hmm. and... Um, 
And so uh, God said, okay, uh, you're going to wander around uh, the, the, the wilderness, uh, the desert, for 40 years until there's a new generation of people that will, will love me and obey me. And, and so um, we know what happened when they sent the spies in uh, to, to look at the land. Joshua and Caleb, they were the mm-hmm. only ones that came back and said, let's take it. God's mm-hmm. with the us. Lord is on our side. The Lord is on our side. And uh, the others were scared. <clears throat> And so, really, it's just Joshua and, and Caleb then being the only ones who yeah. go with that new generation of, of uh, God's people into uh, the land. And so, of course, Moses, he strikes the rock. Uh, he has a lack of faith. God says, you will not enter the land. And, um, and so, Moses dies, and Joshua uh, becomes the leader of his people, and right. he's a military leader. And uh, they're sitting on the threshold of... Uh, of the promised land of Canaan to go in and to take the land from the seven nations uh, who are under God's judgment and will be removed uh, so that God's people can can take this land. And of course, this land is a beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth that one day we will all inherit if we are in Christ. So there's all kinds of wonderful you know, uh, prophecies and types and shadows going on in all of this, which we're going to talk about today. But that brings us really to Joshua chapter 1, where we have the transition of leadership from uh, Moses uh, to Joshua. And so in, in chapter 1, so you, if you go turn your Bible, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it Not says... driving. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look it up. Obviously. <laughs> After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So that's the end to verse two. So a couple of very basic things to kind of point out here is that first, you have this statement of a clear transition in leadership. And so one of the concerns that the Israelites may have is, Will God be with Joshua in the same way that he is he was with Moses? And immediately what you see here is the commissioning of Joshua to say, Go over this Jordan. You are now the one who is essentially in charge. He is now a new mediator of sorts uh, for God's people. And I love the way that verse two ends, that it says, This is the land that I'm giving to them. And that emphasizes material that we remember from the book of Deuteronomy in which uh, the Lord tells Moses that you will enter the promised land and have vineyards that you did not plant. You will have wells that you did not dig, which meant the land is already wonderfully prepared for you. Homes that you did not build. Homes you didn't build. And that means your task is not to create this. Your task is to obey and trust that the word of God is true here. Right. Hence, it's given to them and it's given to all the people of Israel because that's the promise that's being fulfilled here through, our, through, um, mm. through Joshua as the mediator and also as the people of God are now. You have that generation that has died in the wilderness. You now have a new generation and they are now given a charge to take possession of the promise that was basically given to them. Yeah, it's interesting. In verse 6, he commands... Uh, Joshua, to be strong and courageous, uh, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers uh, to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it's interesting, Amen. isn't it, that as, as Gabe, as you were uh, uh, pointing out, uh, this land is a gift to them. Mm-hmm. It's a gift to them. And yet they are also to live uh, uh, courageously in the That's light right. of the promise mm-hmm. and the gift, right? And it's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. That's right. We've been given a gift, the gift of grace, mm-hmm. uh, the gift of eternal life, the gift of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the gift of forgiveness and mercy. And yet we are called in our lives to wage war on the enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil, mm-hmm. uh, and to do so courageously, to be strong, to not flinch. And, and of course, Joshua says, um, uh, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have that uh, stenciled up on our wall in our living room. And uh, it's an important verse for our family. And what it means is, if all the world turns away from the Lord, me and my family will not. And so that that doesn't mean that we are earning God's favor to be saved by having that approach. It means that we know that God is a God of grace and mercy. And so in light of that, because we love him and are responding to his perfect love for us, Mm -hmm. that we want to live in a way that is uh, not giving in to the cultures of of that surround us, but actually living in a way that honors the Lord in the midst of those cultures. That's right. And just like the people of Israel, whose victory was assured, God said, I will go before you and I will do this. Mm -hmm. I will conquer the land. So too, our victory is assured in Christ because he has gone before us and he has gained victory on the cross over sin, death, and hell and the devil. And we don't have anything to fear. We still fight. We don't just sit back and passively say, oh, the Lord will take care of it so I can just sit on my butt and and wait until he does that. Mm -hmm. No, we have to fight as well. advisory. We we have to fight, mm-hmm. right? We we have to uh, we have to actively uh, uh, put on the armor of God, yeah. Amen. And we have to fight against uh, sin and the flesh and the devil. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of the active Christian life, and that we are in a battle, as you say. It's uh, mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul says, "Put on the armor of God." There's a, an 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 uh, we have to be active in our Christian life in sanctification. It's not yeah. a passive thing. And we mm-hmm. see so many people approaching the Christian life in that way, uh, right. in, in a kind of uh, way that sits back and says, "Well, God has has saved me, and so I'll just sort of coast." Yeah. Yeah. There's no Joshua is not coasting yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and God is telling him to be strong and very courageous <laughs> and to do everything that the law of Moses tells him to do. Or even worse, and, and uh, maybe somewhat controversially, people say. God has made me this way, therefore, I don't have to fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they, they identify themselves with their sin and say, this is the way that I was made. Uh, this is not a sin I need to fight against, therefore, I won't. That's, that's correct, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's right. And it's a picture of that uh, in terms of Joshua chapter 3 and 4, where the nation itself, who has now on the banks of the Jordan, they now have to be circumcised. That's right. And one of the things that is beautiful in that passage is that they are essentially cutting off the reproach of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And 
that is a picture that talks about the very real sense in what circumcision points to, that reality that the old man, in one sense, is cut off, that old slavery and bondage to sin has been cut off. And because you are on, you can actually see the land, you can see the fruit of the land, uh, as it were. Thus, they are no longer called to even, in any sense, to call themselves Egyptians or even think that that's still part of who they are. Who they are now are those who have been set apart from God's purposes. They've been cut off from that reproach. They've been now joined to the Lord in this sense. Mm -hmm. And now they're given a charge to go forward. And that's the picture of the Christian life. It is the turning away from the past old man and his Mm -hmm. sin, putting it to death. And then it's a turning your face towards Christ because he is your life and your identity. That's right. It's interesting, isn't it? We think about this book being a... Uh, a military manual of sorts, and uh, Joshua is is uh, taking the people across uh, the river, and they're now just a short distance from Jericho, and and so they're they're getting ready to go uh, to conquer Jericho, and uh, but rather than have a kind of military rally mm-hmm. or to focus just on tactics, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, something very different happens, doesn't it? Yeah, what is it that the people of God do prior to going into battle? They worship. They worship. They, worship. Mm-hmm. they become ceremonially uh, clean with a circumcision. They mm-hmm. they celebrate Passover. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we have these things corresponding to baptism and the Lord's Supper, of course. We can mm-hmm. talk more about that later, perhaps. But we we have this this waiting upon the lord mm. and expressing dependence upon him before they go into battle it's a beautiful christian uh, beautiful um picture of the christian life mm. that we don't rush into battle we don't rush into uh our lives without being still and knowing mm. that he is god without opening his word and hearing the voice of our god in scripture uh without uh, kneeling in prayer and trusting in the Lord uh, and, and crying out to him and pouring our souls out to him in prayer. And so that really is a, a, like putting on the armor before right. we go out to battle. And I think it's it's sadly true that a lot of Christians do not see their lives as a battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they see it as something else. They don't conceive of it as I'm going out of my home or even while you're in your home and Satan wants to kill me. Mm-hmm. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy me, mm-hmm. my marriage, my family, my work. He, he, he wants to mess up my church. Yeah. And so we don't have that battle mentality and so we end up being caught off guard too often. Mm-hmm. And then we, don't, we find that we aren't that, we're, that we are rarely, if ever, actually spending time in the presence of God right. mm-hmm. in His Word, crying out to Him in prayer, putting on that armor, and so we find ourselves, uh, you know, not like Joshua and the people of God who here are being obedient by, by being in His presence and being encouraged before they go into battle. And by the way, what happens when they go into battle? To fast forward a little bit, <laughs> the, you know, it's it's uh, counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Rather than you know have some some plan to scale the walls or to starve them yeah. out or whatever, they're told to march around the walls sometimes. Yeah. Like, what is that? <laughs> You know, and to play the music, and it's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> now, why? Let's talk about this. Why would the Lord want to have that as the battle plan, rather than something else? What is He showing us? What's He teaching us there? Well, in one sense, there's the reality that 
the Israelites are meant to understand that, one, they could have never conquered any of these cities unless the Lord was on their side. But secondly, is to demonstrate that point conclusively, that you did not conquer these cities because you were more militarily intelligent than your surrounding than the surrounding neighbors. Rather, it is the Lord who is judging the nations in Canaan. It is the Lord who is giving you this land. And the picture of you receiving something is that the Lord himself actually knocks down the walls of Jericho. Mm. And so it's the actual picture there is not they are trying to climb the wall and trying to pull the wall down. That's not the picture. The picture is that they are so dependent upon the Lord that unless the Lord wins the battle, unless the Lord is the mighty warrior in their midst, Mm. then everything is for naught. And that means in this sense, the beautiful picture that you see with Jericho and the walls falling down is that God is the one who delivers, saves, and eventually gives the people that actual land. And also he does things that are counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the wisdom of man mm-hmm. uh, is, is what creates the modern uh, evangelical church that doesn't take seriously the word of God mm-hmm. and the sacraments. That's right. Amen. Right, because it's counterintuitive to think that Christ will actually build his church through preaching mm-hmm. and through bread and through wine and through prayer. Mm-hmm. Because those things are foolishness mm-hmm. to the world. That's right. yeah. But to to those who are being saved is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. It is so it, it's exactly that, Gabe. It's it's you know, the people of God are being reminded and, and we who are part of the people of God here today are being reminded through this event that it is the Lord who breaks down the walls of our enemies. Amen. It is the Lord who feeds his people through the means that he himself has promised to bless in the lives of his people. Mm-hmm. So we shouldn't come up with alternative ways. You know, when the people of God came up with an alternative way to worship <laughs> in the desert, that didn't work out too well. Uh, yes. When they said, we're going to build a golden calf and be like, be like the people, you know, we're going to worship Yahweh, but we're going to do so through this mm-hmm. golden calf like the Egyptians would do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, that uh, didn't turn out too well. No, it did not. Well, that's one of the major themes that we've seen in these just first five chapters of, of Joshua is this uh, memorial or, or remember. Um, so the Lord is calling his people to remember um, in, in a couple of different ways. And so they uh, are on the, the brink of, of crossing over into the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Lord, of course, uh, goes before them. And that's signified with the, the Ark of the Covenant goes in front of the people. And then they... Um, the, those priests holding the ark stay in the water until, or stay on the dry ground until all of Israel passes. Mm-hmm. Um, but even while the, but before the water comes back, right, and and, and uh, before before the the river flows normally again, uh, they are told Israel is told to build a cairn, a m- memorial cairn, uh, so that they can remember mm-hmm. what the Lord has done. They build mm-hmm. one in the river and uh, on the land in Canaan, mm-hmm. um, and they are told, uh, they are told why they do this. It is so that they remember. Um, in Joshua chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we read, When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a m- memorial forever. Amen. God is is telling the people through these stones that they have to remember where they came from, 
uh, Egypt and the wilderness. They have to remember where they are in the land that he has promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, and uh, who brought them there? The Lord. Amen. The God of Israel. I love how uh, Rhett Dodson in his excellent book that we've been using as a resource that Gabe mentioned earlier says uh, on page 77, quote, As they looked at the stones and heard the story, they could exercise faith in what God had done to bring his people into the land of promise. By believing that good news, the coming generations could identify themselves with all that God had done through this miracle. Mm. They could enjoy all the blessings their fathers had received when they crossed into Canaan. Now, I love this. He goes on to say, children have a natural curiosity. They love to ask questions. What and why are some of the first words in their rapidly expanding vocabulary? Parents and teachers need to find ways to channel that curiosity to inquire about the most important things. One of the primary ways to accomplish that is to use signs and memorials, Mm. like these stones, Mm. that God has given us. Just as the Lord appointed stones from the Jordan to remind Israel of his great acts, he has also provided certain means or tools for the church to use, primarily the word of God and the sacraments. And so um, he, he writes, he goes on to say, how can any of us remember God's great acts in redemptive history? We are removed from the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ by almost 2,000 years. Yet we remember them because we have a memory book, the Bible. Mm -hmm. When the Apostle Peter wrote his second letter, one of his primary purposes for putting his words on paper was to provide a way for his readers to remember the truths he had taught them. Quote, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, uh-huh. since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, in other words, he's going to die soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Second uh-huh. Peter 1, 12-15. Then Rhett says, The scriptures vividly and sufficiently portray everything that a Christian needs to know and remember for his or her walk with God. And then he says also, of course, that the sacraments also help us to remember both baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs that turn our attention to the work of Christ when he offered his broken body and shed blood for our salvation so that we might be cleansed from sin and engrafted into his body, the church. Jesus mm-hmm. himself instructed us to take communion in remembrance of him. By these signs and memorials, we can know what took place in the past, and by remembering, by recalling with faith and appropriation, we can participate in them. Mm -hmm. Parents, therefore, need to use these means of grace to instruct their children. There are many ways to accomplish this. Uh, Why not discuss the sermon or the communion service at Sunday dinner? Ask, what did you understand about the message? What did you not understand? Mm -hmm. And so this is something I know, Gabe, that you're very careful to do uh, with your uh, girls. And it was what we were careful to do with our kids when they were very young. We still do it now that they're teenagers. Mike, little Michael's only six months old, so he's probably not going to be memorizing the, quite. the sermons yet. A <laughs> couple um, of weeks. But these are so important. Uh, is this, these, these, uh, in the passage in Joshua, children, they're, they're directing... Mm-hmm. Uh, the children to ask these questions about what these things mean. And I know you take mm-hmm. great care to do that with your girls. Yeah, and the the reason why is because, if we're honest, we're very easy and it's very easy to forget yes. God's faithfulness. Yes. And one of the things I love about the doctrine of the sufficiency of the scripture, it records the redemptive acts 
and it interprets them for you and tells you to remember them. <laughs> and one of the things that I used to do when I was younger was to just go through the Psalms and just re- record how often it says, remember God's great acts of old. And there are numerous Psalms themselves that simply say, let's recall Israel's yeah. history. Mm-hmm. That's meant to be something remembered. And as the Christian, you can say amen to that. And you can say, we also can remember the great act of redemption for us, for Christ accomplishing redemption, the Spirit applying that redemption to our hearts. And, and by the way, you mentioned the Psalms, Gabe. Mm-hmm. The Psalms are constantly, as you say, commanding us to remember the great acts of God, and then they tell us about uh, the great yes. acts of God. And what are we supposed to be doing in the church with them? Singing, Singing them, them and praying them. And yeah, and that's exactly. one of the great, uh, I think... Um, and sad omissions of the modern church is we've stopped singing the metrical psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may get little portions of them here and there, but the psalms actually help us to do what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. One of the, and kind of going back to what you mentioned, I know it's easy for myself to forget those things. And you think about your children, that they are learning these things basically for the first time. Mm-hmm. They see your response to the acts of redemption. And in some sense, they are looking at your response to see how important is this yeah sure yeah (laughs) and your kids know automatically whether or not you think this is by far the most important thing about your life Mm -hmm. or if this is kind of ancillary secondary sort of information espn yeah exactly they know that intuitively and hence that's why you see in deuteronomy that you teach these things when they get up Mm -hmm. when they eat when they're on the way, right before they go to bed, Amen. all these things are meant to be taught to them in that sense. Well, tell us, uh, tell a listener, Gabe, what you do with your kids in terms of sermon listening. Sure. That. So one of the things that uh, Elisa and I started doing maybe about a about a year ago was that uh, we have a little notebook for our oldest, uh, Alexandria. And basically what we do is that we have the programs. And so we write down a series of questions that we assume will be covered in the sermon, unless John <laughs> changes it, misses it, <laughs> goes some other direction, or says, oh, we're going to finish this in two or three weeks. Like, Daddy, okay. why Pastor John <laughs> You so, said he would. Yeah, exactly. So, but that's what, we, that's what we've been doing. And basically what we wanted Alexandria to understand is that, you know, the sermon is going to be above your head at certain times. That's fine. Uh, you don't just lower the sermon down just to, you know, deal with that sort of matter. But the reality is that the core heart of the message is clear. And particularly if you're preaching expositionally, like it occurs at this uh, church, that means you understand where things are going and you understand the context of things. You can ask questions based upon what happened the previous week. So we just write down a list of probably uh, three to four questions of uh, what is the sermon about? Um, what is essentially the the context? What's the background? Uh, depending upon the sermon, how was Christ seen here in this passage, or what is the application that uh, Pastor John has mentioned? Just those basic sort of things. Mm-hmm. The idea is that over time, you could add more to that. You can kind of build upon that because their understanding grows. Mm-hmm. But kind of what you've always mentioned, uh, Pastor John, that when you think about a young child, you're kind of putting furniture in the room, and you know, by the grace of God, if the Holy Spirit uh, works in uh, her life, that means you don't have to do what I had to do, basically, which was 
you are born again, but you have all this false doctrine. You just got to yeah. pull apart. Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful thing in which the furniture is set up and the Holy Spirit turns in the light. Yeah. And now you have understanding and faith <laughs> put together. Yeah. That's and that's kind of one of the things we hope for and uh, how we actually arrange your questions. One of the other things I think is really important about the book of Joshua is you, you see the book of Joshua, you automatically think this is kind of for Israel, but in chapter two in Joshua, we get the story of Rahab and Rahab is not an Israelite. And you automatically see the universal nature of the gospel. Very clearly Genesis pictured. Genesis 12. Genesis 12 being pictured here because you have a, you know, we presumably think she's a former idolater and we know that she is a prostitute. So mm-hmm. again, uh, not someone that would be a candidate for such grace. But note how uh, the book of Joshua describes her. Note that she now, after seeing or hearing about the works of God, uh, hearing about what God has done for the Israelites, she makes a profession of faith. It's like, I know that your God is the one who is going to not just wipe out this city, <laughs> <laughs> but the whole land is afraid or has fear of God now because of what has happened. And so she says, I'm not going to trust in my leaders and myself to protect me. I'm going to fall upon the Lord. And so as a result, Rahab hides the spies. She does it well enough, apparently, that they're not caught. And what we get at the end of the chapter is that little sign that, you know, if Rahab and her family leaves the scarlet cord in the window, when Israel comes to actually raid the city, they will preserve her and her family. Yeah. And you read in Hebrews 11, she's part of the hall of faith. Yeah. She's along the line of which Christ comes. Yeah. And so beautiful picture that even though the focus is on God's faithfulness to his promise to Israel, you see even here that his, you know, so to speak, his plan, his purposes was never meant to be confined to that. Which we are seeing now on Sunday mornings as I preach through Acts. Yeah. That's right. And seeing the glorious door opening to the Gentiles in mm-hmm. Acts 13 and 14. I mean, earlier with Cornelius, but in a, in a way that is uh, like never before um, in Acts 13 and 14 in Antioch, Pisidia, and uh, Iconium, and so forth. That's right. And you want to talk about remembering the redemptive history of the Lord. Look at some of the sermons in Acts where they're uh-huh. just rehearsing. Yeah history uh, over and over again. Stephen's sermon is, is uh, um, just a prototypical example of something mm. like that. It's yeah, wonderful. It is a masterpiece. Well, this has been a really great uh, discussion. And once again, uh, men of Christ Church, uh, please yeah. come and join us on Thursday mornings at 6.30 uh, a.m. Uh, we are walking through this uh, wonderful book, Every Promise of Your Word, The Gospel According to Joshua by Rhett Dodson. We have uh, a few copies left here at the church office. We'd be glad to uh, to provide you with one of those. We just take a chapter a week, and um, and we're walking through this together. And uh, we hope that you will uh, be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, you will take seriously every word uh, in uh, the law of God, and that you will rest in Christ alone. Uh, for your salvation. That really is ultimately what Joshua is all about. And so be like Joshua in the sense that um, he was trusting in the promises of God. And uh, by trusting in the promises of God, he could say uh, with courage, uh, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, we'll talk to you next time on Between the Times.